Hey there and welcome to the Duncan Pentecostal Church podcast streaming from Vancouver Island here in Canada. And however you have found our podcast, we're so glad you're here. Before we jump into today's message, just a couple things I want to let you know. If you go to our website, www.duncanchurch.com, you're going to find a couple easy ways where you can connect with us. We have an online connect card you can fill out. Maybe let us know where you're listening from and check off the option to receive our what's happening email we send this out once a week it's a great way to stay connected with everything that's going on here at the church and even online apart from that there is a give button so if you're feeling led you can do that right online through our website you can also find us on facebook and youtube we are so glad you're tuning in and we are believing that god's going to do something special in you through today's message enjoy Well, if you are just joining us, we are uh, in the midst, in fact, we're actually nearing the tail end of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, we've got one week to go. Uh, I actually, it's interesting, just, I think it was Saturday was the first day that I was like, I really just want to watch some TV and eat candy. <laughs> it was weird. I've kind of felt pretty good for the first bit and kind of like a week and a half into it, it's all of a sudden now it's more of the push where I'm like, okay, I feel done with this, it felt like. And I was like, no, I was like, Lord, I need to continue because of that. I need to press in even more now. Uh, But we are nearing the tail end here. And during the 21 days of prayer and fasting this year, we've been going through the book, uh, The Awe of God by John Bevere. And of course, um, I hope you have a copy of this. I hope you've been reading through it. It's kind of like a devotional. reads very simple, very easy. Um, But uh, in that book, last week we kind of talked a little bit about, it really focuses, the main theme of the book is about the fear of God living your life with a fear of God in your life. And so we looked last week, if you were with us, at what is the fear of God. We also talked a little bit about uh, oftentimes why we don't fear God. And, and then we kind of boiled it down to uh, what the fear of God kind of could, could look like. And I really believe that the Lord spoke to my heart about the fear of the Lord being fear of doing life without God, without his presence in our lives. And hopefully as you read and continue to read through the book this past week, Um, you would have noticed that there was a real call to holiness, a call to obedience to God's word. I don't know if you picked up on that as you were reading, perhaps. That as followers of Christ that fear God, we are always to obey. We obey no matter what, because at our core, these are some things that the book brought out. Number one, we obey no no matter what, because God is the one who knows what's right for me. At our core, we obey God because we know that he is pure love and I am the focus of his love. We also know that God will never tell me to do anything that is detrimental. Whatever he says will always end up best for me. And therefore, no matter what he says, I gladly choose to obey. So there's this key focus on obedience this past week in our readings. John Bevere, the author, goes on to say this. He says, those who fear God are firmly established that there's nothing more important or beneficial than obedience. They obey no matter the cost and don't filter God's word through the culture or trends of present day society. They also don't base their obedience to God's word on how other believers behave. They simply obey. And it was a bit of a strong, perhaps, um, you know, a bit of a, I don't know if rebuke is the right word, but, but, you know, obedience is key. If you fear God, you will obey his word. We learned this, in fact, if some of you were with us when we went through the book of Joshua as a church, that the word, in the very first chapter we learned this, that, 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 that success is in your hands, right here that you are flourishing or floundering based on what you do with this word. 
Do you obey the word or do you ignore the word? Because that will determine the outcome of your life. In fact, as you continue to read um, uh, after throughout the book, he focused specifically on five distinct aspects of trembling at God's word. He said that when we tremble, we obey his word and we obey his word immediately. We obey his word even if it makes no sense. We obey his word when there's no obvious benefit. We obey even if it's painful and we obey to completion. In other words, fully to, to the very end of what he calls us to do. If I could sum it up, it would be this. When we fear God, we obey his word. We obey him no matter what. That, that's, that's what a life that fears God would look like. One of the key areas of obedience that John Bevere sort of touches, just briefly touches on in the book, is that of forgiveness. And I want to ask you this this morning. How many of you have ever been hurt by somebody? Anybody here ever been hurt by someone? There's about maybe a, a half of us. Any of you ever been offended by somebody? Been wronged in any way? Yeah, you, yeah. So, so I'm going to call you liars because there's a bunch of you that are just not even raising your hand, and I know you have been. So now you've been offended by me, and so now you can put up your hand and say, yeah, that pastor that one time called me a liar. <clears throat> we've all been offended. We've all been hurt in some way. No one is exempt. In fact, forgiveness is something that if you are a human, you will need to continue to practice until the day you die. It's something that will never end in our lives because, because there will always be people, there will always be offenses that come against us. You will always be wronged in some way by someone or even something. Yet unforgiveness is probably one of the main things that has and continues to destroy lives, ruin lives all over the place. Think about marriages that have been destroyed by unforgiveness. Think about families that have been destroyed by unforgiveness, relationships that have broken down and fallen apart because of unforgiveness. You could even say that nations have been destroyed because of unforgiveness. And so this morning, yeah, I was praying, God, where are we going to go with this? I actually, um, when I was reading through the book, the Lord laid this on my heart like months and months ago, that we would actually take time to actually look at probably one of the most difficult things to obey God in, and that is forgiveness. And so we're going to look this morning at that. We're going to be a people who forgive. And I want to focus on that this morning. Why don't we pray before we actually get into the message? Um, because this isn't an easy topic. This isn't an easy thing for a lot of us to walk through, is that of forgiveness. And so why don't we take a, a moment and just start with a word of prayer. Father, uh, Lord, we know, we know that, um, that forgiveness is big <laughs> and it's difficult. Sometimes it's easier than other times, depending on the, the wound that we've received. And Lord, I know that all of us in this room, in some way or another, have been wronged by other people, have been offended by other people, have been hurt by other people, whether they meant to or not. And Lord, I ask that this morning you would help, right now, Holy Spirit, that you would come and just begin to work in this room, begin to minister to the, the hearts and the needs of the people, that, that Jesus, we would, um, we always want to look more like you, but especially in this area of forgiveness. Lord, you led the way. You were the perfect example of forgiveness. And so, Jesus, may we be more like you in this. Help us now, I pray. We ask these things in your name. Amen. All right, the first thing I want to do is I want to look at one of the commands to forgive that is found in Scripture. It's actually found in Luke 17. I'm actually going to, um, you don't need to worry about the Bibles in the seats. I have the text for us on the screen this morning because uh, we're not going to be using um, a, a different translation. I'm going to be using the New King James Version this morning. 
And the reason I'm using the New King James is that it, it, it actually has a word that the majority of modern translations don't have, that it actually misses. And it's not because of the manuscripts, because all the manuscripts still have this particular word. But for some reason, most of the modern translations skip it out, and they separate the thought that's going on here. But it's key, I believe, to what Jesus is teaching. So we're going to be uh, reading from the New King, James, New King James Version this morning. Beginning in Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, it says this, Then he said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come. Okay, you, did you hear that? You can't go through life without offenses being done against you. That's what Jesus said. He said it's impossible. It's impossible. You will be offended. But woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Most translations would say or cause one of these little ones to sin. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he, re and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to say to you, I repent, you shall forgive him. Now, I want you to look at the response of the disciples in verse 5. And this is the reason that I use the New King James. It's the next word that we see. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Now, I already mentioned that the, the vast majority of modern translations, they miss out this one word here, and. They don't put it in. It's the word in the Greek, chi. And it's simply a joining or conjunction word. It's often translated in scriptures as and or but. It's one of, and it just joins thoughts together. Don't forget that when you read the Bible, we have verses and chapters. We even have headings. Those were not in there originally. Those were put in there to help us, to help us find, you know, like this morning, Luke chapter 17. Instead of having a big scroll that we're going, keep going, keep going, keep, oh, you're close, keep, you know, you're getting closer, right? We have a number, Luke 17. You can find it. It's easy. And so these were added in. But, but here's the thing. The vast majority, in fact, if you do have your Bibles, you could look at it right now. I'm going to look at mine, in fact. I'm going to look up Luke 17. And if you look there, it will separate the New Kings. This is the funny thing. The, the New King James Version separates it too, which is odd. But they separate verse 5 and verse, uh, sorry, verse 4 and verse 5. They separate. They, they create a new heading. So mine has in verses 1 to 4, my eyes are getting a little poor, uh, temptations to sin. And then all of a sudden, and this is put in there by man, that's to help us kind of, you know, understand what the next topic is going to be that they're talking about. The next one in verse 5, the heading says, increase our faith. In the New King James Version, it just simply says, faith and duty. And they create a new heading. It's like, it, it, it's almost like we get this idea that Jesus is talking about forgiveness over and over. In fact, the number that he uses is what? How many times? Seven times, which if you know in scripture, the number seven is the number of completeness. In other words, he's saying, if they sin a whole bunch, is the idea that he's giving seven times, and seven times they come back, you need to forgive them. You need seven times. It's completeness. It's fully forgiving them. But here's the thing. Our text, as we read the Bibles, we would think, okay, we're done with that. Forgive. Move on. Next verse, faith and duty. And we start looking and reading this passage about faith. That's not what's going on here. See, and that's because in the Greek, it has the word kai. It ties the thoughts together. So he says, you need to forgive. You need to forgive. And don't forget, he had the whole promise and guarantee in verse 1 that it's impossible that no offense will come in life. You will be wronged. You must forgive over and over and over and over. 
How did the disciples respond? And we need to understand this. This is key. In verse 5, they said, he says, you must forgive. And then what do they say? And, or but, the disciples said, increase our faith. Do you see what's going on here? Do you see, do you see the connection? The disciples go, what? Forgive like that? Are you crazy? We need more faith. That's what they're saying. They're saying we need more faith. That's, that's an impossible thing to do. That is hard. And how many of you know that, that forgiveness can be difficult? Forgiveness can be hard. It can be very difficult. And the disciples, that's why they respond this way. If you want us to forgive like this, we need more faith. You better increase our faith because that's too hard to do. Think of, this is the thing, think of all that the disciples had witnessed at this point. This is late in the ministry of Christ here. They have witnessed miracle upon miracles. They've witnessed the, they've witnessed the blind receive sight. They've witnessed the, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the dead have been raised at this point in Scripture. They've seen all of this. They've seen the miracle of thousands being fed with just a few loaves and fish. They've seen Jesus calm a storm by just saying, be still, and everything gets calm. Then Jesus sent them out, the 12 and the 72, to go do the same things that Jesus had been doing. And did they at that point say, well, you better increase our faith? They didn't, did they? The one time they say, you need to give us more faith is what? Forgiveness. You need to forgive. Well, how much? Well, seven, in another place, he says 70 times seven. He, he's saying over and over, you need to be a person of forgiveness. No matter what, he says. And they go, that's too hard. You better increase our faith. Go raise the dead. We can do that. But forgive? Do, do you see? Do you see what's going on here? We need more faith. Well, how does Jesus respond? Remember this, just throw out the verse numbers for a moment, okay? Take that out of your head. Because right away, this is what the Lord says, all in connection here. He goes, well, let's talk about that then. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say this mulberry tree be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. What is Jesus' response? He says this, you don't need more faith. You have plenty of faith. Do you see what he's getting at here? The, he says, a mustard seed size faith, which is tiny, itsy bitsy, nothing. That amount of faith can, can do crazy things, like, like say to a tree, hey, you, get up and be planted in the ocean, and it'll go do it. Do you see what he's saying? It's not more faith that you need. The smallest amount of faith can do the most incredible things. This is what you do need, and what Jesus goes on to tell them next. Look at verse 7. What's the first word? And. Notice, it's continuing the thought kai in the greek and which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field come at once and sit down to eat would he do that what's the answer no it's your servant okay your servant's been working he comes in and he's like hey well you know what take a break get some food you know have a rest he's like no you wouldn't do that what would you do will he rather not say to him prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. Do you see what he's getting at here? Would he thank this? No, he says what? He says that's the servant's job. That's their duty. That's what they're required to do. Notice verse 10. Look at what he says next. So likewise you, when you have done all, these, all those things which you are commanded, such as the command to forgive... Right? It's all in the same thought. You will say this, we are unprofitable servants, or most translations say unworthy servants. 
We have done what was our duty to do. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? The, the point of the parable was that the servant just did what they were told to do. It was their duty. And Jesus in verse 10 says, you do likewise. You are servants of God. It is your duty to forgive. Whatever command, we've, we, whatever command is given to you, you need to obey. Jesus is basically saying this. When I, the, the, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the God of all creation, tell you to do something, your response is this. In today's vernacular, yes, sir. That's really strong, isn't it? That's what this parable is teaching, though. That's what he's saying. We need more faith. No, you don't need more faith. You just need to do what I'm telling you to do. Oh, bummer. Then, here's the thing. We're going to continue on in the passage because it's interesting. Jesus next kind of uses a real-life object lesson to kind of drive home the point. He's not yet done, I don't think, with the whole forgiveness talk. Look at verse 11. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem. So, the, so they're done kind of the conversation. It probably they were, the, the disciples at that point are probably like, man, oh man, do I really want to follow this Jesus guy anymore? This is tough. This is a tough teaching. Duty, just, just obey, do what we've been told to do. What? And they're, they're probably mulling this over in their mind as, as they're heading to Jerusalem. And as he went to Jerusalem, he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then, verse 12, as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. They weren't allowed to get close. You're a leper. Unclean, unclean, they would have to call. And they lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. This is a little bit strange. Jesus healed so many people just with a word. In fact, we know that there were times that people were healed that he didn't even go to their home, right? And, and, and on the spot, he would heal people right then and there. He doesn't even come close to cleaning them right now. All he says to them is, just go show yourself to the priest. That's all I'm telling you to do. Go show yourself to the priest. This is strange. It's kind of backwards, in fact, because you would only go to the priest. They wouldn't be allowed to go before the priest. They're still unclean lepers, and so it, you'd have to be clean first before you go to the priest. It's totally backwards. What's, what's, what are you doing, Jesus? Well, he's being delivered, I think. You know, the lepers easily could have said that. Wait, we need to be clean first, then we'll go. We can't go like this. Heal us first, Jesus, then we'll go. That's how it works. But instead, what did the lepers do? How did they respond? What did they do? The last verse. They just went. Okay, he told us to do it. We're going to go do it. Do you see what Jesus might, I wonder, I wonder if in that moment, Jesus just kind of stopped, looked at the disciples and was like, see how it's done? Do you see how it's done? Right? You just do it. They weren't cleansed yet. They, were, they weren't fixed. You just do it. You just go. You do it. Even if it doesn't make sense. That's what we've been learning. You obey do you see this? This is a hard, if I'm honest, this is a hard teaching, not just on obedience, but on forgiveness. You just do it. You just do it. Before we move on, I, I want to make it very clear what the command to forgive is not. Okay, the command to forgive is not approving of what somebody did to you. Okay? Often we respond when somebody says, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? What do we often say? It's okay. 
It's a poor response. You know why it's a poor response? Because most of the time, it wasn't okay what they did to you, right? It's not okay. A much better response would be, I forgive you. I forgive you. It's not that it was okay. It's, I forgive you. The command to forgive is also not pretending that an offense hasn't taken place. It's not hiding how you really feel and the wounding and the hurt that you're experiencing. That's not, that's not what the command to forgive is. It's not making an excuse for another person's bad behavior either. If what they did was wrong, it was wrong. Right? We're not excusing their bad behavior. The command to forgive is also, I would say, not restoring a relationship when it's not safe to do so. There are times when actually we have to forgive, but we should not, in wisdom, go near that person again, perhaps. It's also not telling someone that they are forgiven before they're ready to hear it. It's not me going up to Megan saying, Megan, I forgive you. What did I do? Right? You, you know what I'm saying? Like, they, they aren't ready to hear it. They don't know, you know, they don't know what they did. They did they, they, I, I did something? You know, it's like, I forgive you, you big jerk for what you, you know, it's like, no, it's not. It's also not saying, I forgive you before you're also ready to say it. Forgiveness as well, I'd say the command to forgive is not canceling negative consequences. Okay, that's, that's also what it is not doing. And I'd say this, it's not, it doesn't mean that trust is restored. Forgiveness doesn't mean that it's all, oh, we're all back to square one. All, life is totally peachy, right? Trust and forgiveness are actually separate issues. You know, I've talked about this before where it's kind of like Andrew and I go on this hike up Mount Zuhalem. And, uh, and while we're, we're, we have a beautiful picnic up there, and on the way down, we're walking on this real steep part, and, and I just, I can't help it, but I get tempted to just watch her fly down the hill. And so I put out my leg, and I push her, and, and Andrea falls and tumbles down the hill and gets all bruised and broken, and, 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 and she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know, but it was kind of fun, or whatever, you know, and I got this weird, crazy thought, and then, and then, and then she, she recovers, and she gets better, and, and I say to her, you know what, Andrea, I I don't know what came over me that time. Can we go do this again? That's not like me. Can we do another picnic on Mount Suhalem? I, I, I've got candles. I've got everything ready for it. And can we do it again? And she's like, well, okay, that's true. It wasn't really like Peter. And so we go up again to Mount Suhalem. We have this beautiful picnic together. And then on the way down, I don't know why, but I get the crazy temptation again. <laughs> and as we're walking on this real steep section, I just kind of put my foot out again and, oh, let's see what happens. <laughs> And I push her, and she goes down and, again, breaks her arm this time or something. You know. Does Andrea have to forgive me? Does Andrea have to forgive me? Yes, yes she does. Now, so, so over time, she recovers, and I say to her, you know, thank you for your forgiveness. Again, I don't know what came over me. Can we go one more time? Can I redeem this? Can I, can I, can I fix what I did wrong? Should she go with me another time up Mount Suhalem for a picnic? No. Good. You guys got it. Okay. Does she have to forgive me, though? Yes. yes. Does she have to go with me up Mount Suhalem? No. There we go. Do you see trust and forgiveness are very different things? Trust and forgiveness are very different things. And so we're not saying that the command to forgive means that you just jump right back in with that person and it's all better and we're going to do the things that we did before. So we must forgive. There is no option here. It's a must. It's a command of Scripture. And so I want to look secondly now at why forgiveness is so important. Why is Jesus so, I don't know what other word to use, but intense perhaps about it? It's pretty intense what he says. Why does he say just do it? You just do it. You forgive as though it's your duty, as though you are a servant. Why? Well, the first reason that forgiveness is so important is because if we don't forgive, it means that God can't forgive us. 
That's huge. So many scriptures that Jesus teaches about with this, over and over, even with the Lord's Prayer, he ties that on at the end. He says this fact that if you don't forgive others, God can't forgive you. This is why you must be a person of forgiveness. You reap what you sow. And if you sow mercy, you will reap mercy. If you sow judgment, you're going to reap judgment. And so I would say this, do yourself a favor and forgive. It will be very good for you. It's a very serious thing. Leave the judgment, leave the vengeance, leave the the retribution to God. He's way better at it than you are, by the way. Don't get in the way of what he wants to do. Just leave it to him. Let him handle it. You know, Hebrews, the author of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 15, he warns us, he says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Watch out, he says, because you reap what you sow. And when you sow unforgiveness, you're, 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 you're planting unforgiveness. You're planting oftentimes bitterness towards that person. What took place? And what's going to happen is you're going to grow something. Here he talks about you're going to grow the poisonous root of bitterness. And what will you reap from that? You will reap bitterness. He says here, it's going to trouble you and it's going to corrupt many. It's going to ruin lives, your life and others. So he says you need to be a person of forgiveness. God can't forgive you if you don't forgive others. In fact, the second reason that forgiveness is so important is simply because God knows what is best for us. You know, as, as, as mentioned earlier, that, that to fear God means that we obey no matter what. And, and though we might not get it, forgiveness will always be better for us. Always. You need to know that. You know, there's actual health studies, actual health studies that have linked unforgiveness to serious illness in people. That physically, your body gets sick when you choose not to forgive. There are actual studies, non-Christian scientific studies that have shown this fact. Unforgiveness will make you ill. In, in the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells the parable of the unforgiving servant. It's a servant who owes millions and millions and millions of dollars to the king. And the king one day says, hey, you've got to pay up. And he's like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. He goes to the king. He's like, I, I can't. He begins to beg and plead because the king says, well, you owe me this millions and millions and millions of dollars. I, I can't pay it. He says, well, fine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take all that you have and yourself and your wife and your kids and I'm going to sell them until you've paid off the debt. And the man just pleads for his life, begs. And the, we're told in the parable that the king has pity on this man, on this servant. The king has pity and he, he finally says, okay, I will forgive you the debt. I'll forgive you the debt. Oh, thank you. And the servant leaves the king's presence. But if you know the parable, he goes and he finds somebody else on the street who owes him like a hundred bucks. After he's been forgiven millions and millions and millions of dollars, he grabs this man by the throat, seizes him, and he says, you pay up or I'm going to have you thrown in prison. He owes him a hundred bucks. Well, the king hears about it. Listen to what happens to the man. Look at Matthew 18. Verse 32 to 35, it says this, Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be, what does it say? Tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Now look at this last verse. I hadn't really noticed this until this last week. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. What on earth did I just read? 
That's crazy. That's, that's seriously crazy. I don't know how else to put it. But do you know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, you know what? There's many people, Christians and non-Christians, that are being tortured in a prison of unforgiveness. That's the reality. When we don't forgive, you know what we do? We lock ourselves into a prison to be tortured. That's what Jesus says. And here's the funny thing. We think we are not going to forgive because of what they did to us. I'm not going to forgive that person. And, And so we lock them away, we think. It does nothing to them. All it does is it locks you away into a prison to be tortured. And I don't know if you're here this morning and maybe you're tortured by hateful thoughts toward another person that just keep rolling around in your head and you're tortured by it. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Why don't, again, you do yourself a favor and forgive and be set free of that prison? You know, there's that quote, famous quote, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and then waiting for the other person to die. That is so true. That is, that is what unforgiveness is. Because here's the thing, forgiveness, forgiveness is not about freeing the other person. Do you know what forgiveness is about? It's about freeing you. It's about freeing you. As, as, because as the parable says, think of the king as God, of course. Has he forgiven you of much? Uh-huh. If we equate it to the parable, it's like millions and millions and millions of dollars. Compared to what somebody else would do to us, God has forgiven us of so much more. So, so much more. Therefore, forgiven people should be forgiving people. We should be. Forgiven people should be forgiving people. And a third reason to forgive is because it affects others, namely our children and other believers, fellow believers. In Luke 17, the the passage that we read, uh, Jesus warned about causing little ones, he said, children of God is really what it's referring to, to sin. Uh, He said it's better to have a millstone tied to their neck and to be thrown into the sea than to cause a child to sin. Then look at verse 3. It says, so, he says, you need to forgive. And then he says this, don't cause them to sin. Rather, he says, don't cause them to sin. He says, so, watch yourselves, because if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Do you see the connection that he's making here? See, there's many things that can cause little ones or children of God to sin. If you think of a teacher that, that drives home atheism to their kids, there's no God, there's no such thing. That can cause a child to sin, a person to sin. You think of a doctor that maybe uh, suggests to a young parent that they abort their child. There's lots of things. But Jesus says here in verse 3, a major thing that can cause other people to sin. He says, so be careful. Make sure you forgive. Do you see the connection? Don't cause someone else to sin. So make sure that you forgive. That's kind of the link that he is making. Watch out. And think about this. Think of how many people have left churches because of bitterness and unforgiveness, some sort of an offense. And, and they're, they're maybe nowhere now to be seen in a church, but not only are they nowhere to be seen in a church, neither are their children, right? They're not, they're not in church. They, they refuse to forgive, and it affects not only themselves, but it causes others to sin. You know, I have to be very careful. As a pastor, I'm very careful with what I ever share in my home with my wife and even with my kids about things that have maybe gone on at the church. I mean, there's some things that are private and confidential that I can't share anyway, but there's things sometimes that people maybe say to me or do to me, things like that, that I might not be offended by, but they can be offended by. Do you know what I'm saying? If I say it, I've, I've seen it before, where it's like, I'll say, oh yeah, it's, you know, this happened, and I kind of laugh it off. I'm like, actually, I get it. I understand where they're coming from. And then, you know, they'll be like, I can't believe they did that to you, and they get all angry on my behalf. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
They pick up an offense on my behalf. And you see how we can do that? We have to be careful. We have to be wise and careful with, with how others' eternity is at stake. That if they carry an offense on my behalf, unforgiveness on my behalf, it can affect them seriously. Now, a fourth reason, and of course, this is not an exhaustive list. This is just some reasons, but the final and fourth reason that I'm going to give is this. is just to stop the devil from getting a foothold in our lives. The book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 26 to 27, it says this. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. The New Living Translation actually says, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. It links it completely together. In your anger, do not sin. You may, well, that's not for unforgiveness. Well, what is oftentimes linked with unforgiveness? Anger towards that person for what they did to you. And it's, it's, it, it, the reality is, is that all sin opens the door for the devil to come into our lives. That's what Scripture teaches us. But anger specifically, which is often a part of unforgiveness, gives the devil a foothold. I used to always think of a foothold of, like as a rock climbing kind of term. You know, like a foothold. It's kind of like, you know, you're climbing. and Because I used to do a lot of climbing when I was younger. And, oh, there's a good foothold there, okay? And then I can stand up on that and it'll help you get a leg up in a sense. And I used to always think of it that way. But then I heard a teaching on this that, that talked about that a foothold is more... How many of you had siblings? Anyone here have siblings? Brothers, sisters? How many of you actually ever fought with your brothers or sisters? More? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we all did. If we had a brother or sister, it's kind of the same. It's like, I, I imagine Jesus could say another thing. It's not only impossible that no offense will come your way, but it's probably also impossible that if you have a brother and sister, you won't ever, never fight, right? It's, it's going to happen. Right, and I remember when I, was, um, when I was a kid, our home in Victoria that I grew up in, uh, we had like, you know, kind of everything was on like the kitchen and living room was all on the, the lower floor. And we had a long flight of stairs that went up to all the bedrooms upstairs. And I remember when I would be fighting with my, most, mostly my brother was just older than me, three years older than me. We'd be fighting about something or other and he would come after me. And I would just book it up the stairs to my bedroom. And I would go as fast as I could, ah, but he's faster than me. And so I would get up to my bedroom and I would get to my door and I'd go in and then I'd slam the door. But here's the thing if he was able to just get his foot in before the door shut, you know what I'm talking about? You can't shut that door anymore, can you? You're like, "Uh uh-oh. And you're like pushing, and all of a sudden you feel a hand come around and grab your arm, and you're like swatting it, and then you're like, and the next thing you know, his arm comes around the door, and you're like, ah, and you start screaming, and, and what happens? The next thing you know, it's not just his foot that's in the door, but his whole body starts to come around, and next thing you know, he's throttling you, and you're on the floor, and you know, that's just how it works with family dynamics. And that's, that's in a lot of ways what a foothold would be for the devil. You give him a foot in the door and all of a sudden you can't close it in that area in your life and it opens it up to all kinds of stuff where the devil all of a sudden gets in and it's like starts wreaking havoc in your life. This is one of the ways that, that God says you, you give the devil a foothold in your life, an opening into your life. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to have any area in my life that the devil has an in into. Do you know what I'm talking about? I want to shut him out no matter what. Forgiveness is one of the ways that we shut him out. Unforgiveness is one of the ways that we open the door to the devil. So we must forgive. It's our duty to forgive. It's for our benefit that we forgive. But how do we forgive? It is so hard. Well, we know, first of all, that's not more faith that we need to be able to forgive. That's, that's not the answer. We need to understand this about forgiveness. That it is a process of actions. It is not an event. It's not a one-time thing. 
It's a process of actions. Think about the lepers in Luke uh, 17, verse 14. It says that as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. You know, often we think of forgiveness as kind of saying to ourselves, you know, I I forgive so-and-so. I forgive them for what they did. And listen, it starts there. It starts there, but it doesn't end there. Forgiveness is a choice, 100%, to forgive another person. But how many of you have ever, you know, I forgive them, but you still experience no relief from the pain of what they did to you? Do you know what I'm talking about? You say, I forgive you, I forgive you, but it still hurts and it still wounds. And you can't maybe get the offender out of your mind or you can't get out of your mind the the thing that they did to you, the offense. You know, a great example of how to forgive is the example that we use at our Set Free Retreat. It's of um, Ray Dirksen, pastor from Southland Church, that on uh, every Thursday I'm in mentoring with him. And he tells the story um, of when uh, years ago that he, he was pastoring the church. He, since His son has now since taken over the church and he now runs the whole mentoring thing that I'm a part of. And he said that when he was pastoring the church, there was a, a season where uh, there was a couple in the church, I'm sure there was more than just one couple, but that didn't really appreciate his leadership. They didn't like the vision that he had. Um, And in fact, there was a sermon series he was doing that they really didn't like. And they ended up writing a six-page letter to the board, ripping Ray apart, just shredding him. Well, the board receives the letter and they're like, what do we do? And so they, they actually had Ray come in and with the couple, read the letter to Ray. If you're a board member here, there's probably better ways to do that. Anyway, they, they read this letter. They read this letter um, in front of Ray and the couple that were just shredding him. And Ray's trying to be godly. And he sits through the whole thing and he hears the whole thing and he's hurt. But he's trying to be godly. And he, he, he communicates. He says, you know, thank you. He even thank, thank you for your letter. You know, I, I understand. You know, thank you for communicating what you, was probably hard to communicate and just being honest. And, and he tries to receive what maybe he needs to receive. Do you know what I'm saying? Like things that perhaps he was at fault for. And he tries his best and he actually, then he, he does that and he, afterwards he's like, God, I'm going to choose to forgive them. I'm going to choose to forgive them for the hurt and for the, the words that were spoken. And he thought he had forgiven them. But the next day, he, he felt fine. The next day he goes to have his morning time, his devotions. He's reading through the Bible and as he's reading the scripture, he's, he, it's just dry. There's nothing. He can't hear God's voice. It's just dry and yeah, well, that's kind of odd. Yeah, it happens from time to time. He proceeds the next day, same thing happens. The day after, the same thing. Goes for a week. In his quiet time, it's like reading just some dead letter. And he's like, what is going on? In fact, every time he went to pray, he said that instead of hearing from God, he heard the voice of the people, <laughs> the couple in his head. He's like, ah, get away. Okay. And he said he couldn't get away from it. And, he's, and he finally is like, for after a week of this, he's just cries out. He says, God, what is going on? Where are you? And he felt like God right away said to him, Ray, you're offended. And, he, and Ray responds back, no, I'm not. I'm not offended. He has a little argument with God. You know how it goes. You know, God you know, impresses again on his heart. Yes, Ray, you're offended. No, I'm not. I'm, I forgave them. I said I forgive them. And he's like, Ray, check your heart. And so he said he began to inquire within his heart, Lord, is there an offense? And he said that as he just quieted himself, right away he felt pain and hurt. And he was like, and there's offense. There's unforgiveness right now and he felt it and so what did he do he's like that letter i get it it was harsh it was unkind it was unjust even and so what did he do is he started by confessing his sin of unforgiveness it's a sin to not forgive because it's a command that we do forgive so when we don't forgive we are actually sinning 
And so he started with that. Lord, I confess that I have sinned with this unforgiveness. And then he said, Lord, what do I do? What am I to do here? I don't know how to forgive them. How, what can I do? And he just waited on God. And he said he felt like the Lord laid on his heart three things to do. The first thing was this, pray for them. Number one, pray for them. He said, put them at the top of your prayer list. You pray for that couple every day. You pray for them things that you would want prayed over you. Okay. The second thing he felt God lay on his heart was, God said, do something nice for them each week. When you see them at church, do something nice. Shake their hand. Give them a hug. Do something nice for them each week. Okay. And then he waited and he, and he felt like God said one more thing. And he, and he said, say something nice to them each week. What am I supposed to say? Ray, you'll, you'll figure something out. That's what he felt like God said. Say something nice, some sort of a blessing. Be kind. And so he did this. It was months that he actually did this, praying for them daily, blessing them as they were at church week after week. They stayed in the church. And he did this for months until finally one day he said in his morning times, he felt like very distinctly the Lord said to him, Ray, you're done. You're done. You can stop. Huh? What? You're, you, you can stop praying for them. Oh. And, and he's like, why? And he said, because you've forgiven them. I have? He's like, and, and he felt like the Lord said, check your heart. And he said that as he thought of this couple in his heart, all he could feel was love. He just loved them and cared for them. Oh, I have. I've forgiven them. You know, it's remarkable that in this whole process too, after the Lord had kind of said, you know, you can stop, shortly after that, the wife of this couple runs into him at church on one Sunday and actually comes up and says, oh, I'm bringing an unsaved friend to church next week. I want to introduce them to you. Please make sure that you, and, and like what a change, hey? God just worked this transformation. It was months later that Ray was just reading in his morning time, Luke chapter six. Verse 27 and 28 totally jumped out to him. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Shake their hand. Give them a hug. Bless those who curse you. Say something nice to them. Pray for those who mistreat you. Pray what you would want prayed for you. Do you see this? This is exactly what, what God had impressed on Ray's heart months before to be able to forgive them. You see, it's a process. As the lepers went, they were cleansed. And as you enact forgiveness, you will be healed. It was more than just thinking in the head or saying, I forgive, I forgive. It's so much more than that. Because just as love is an action, you know this, love is an action, love is a verb. The great philosopher's DC talk taught us that one. <laughs> love is a verb, right? Love is a verb. Think of it. God so loved that he said, I love you. No, what does that verse say? God so loved the world that he gave. His only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Do you see how God enacted his love? He just didn't think in his heart, I love you. No, he demonstrated his love by giving his son so that we could be forgiven. In the same way, forgiveness is an action. You know, the disciples question about forgiveness. I, I believe it was totally legitimate. I think we would be in the same boat. What? Are you serious? I mean, it might have shocked you this morning as you heard that passage read. It, because forgiveness is difficult. It is not easy, but God will help. And like the lepers, forgiveness happens as we go, as we do something kind, as we say something kind, as we pray for them. As you go, your feelings will slowly align with your actions of forgiveness. Just a couple final thoughts this morning. 
I want to first of all say this. The, The three steps, pray for them, do something nice, say something nice. Luke 6, 26 to 27, is that what it was? 27 to 28. It may not always be appropriate. Okay, so let me just say that. Um, Like if it was some sort of abuse, sexual or physical or emotional abuse, it probably is wise that you actually don't go near that person again. Do you know what I'm saying? You can definitely pray for them, but it might be wise not to go near them. And so when I say do something nice, say something nice, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. Say, Lord, show me what can I do then? Is there something, is there, is there anything that I can do here to enact this forgiveness? Because sometimes it is wise to just stay away. Listen for his guidance. Maybe as well, um, maybe the offender or the perpetrator, maybe they're deceased. Maybe they're not even around anymore. You have no contact with, you have no, they're not even, I don't know. I don't know how the Holy Spirit will lead you. In that way, you can maybe pray for their family. Maybe you could go to their graveside and just pray. Maybe you could write a letter of forgiveness, of blessing over them and the generations after them. And mail it, you know, obviously not to their family, but maybe mail, mail it to the North Pole. I don't know. But, but there, there are th- all I'm saying is that listen for what the Holy Spirit would lead you to do because it's not always the case that you can do all three things. And finally, I'll just say this just as we close. You, you might be wondering, well, do I have to forgive if the person didn't say sorry? Well, Jesus did say in Luke six twenty seven to love your enemies. How many of you have enemies that tend to ask for forgiveness every time they do something? Remember, remember this. Forgiveness is more about releasing you than it is about releasing them. And here's the thing. When we, when we choose to forgive, think about this. When we choose to forgive, when we f- refuse to carry an offense in our life, there's nothing that the devil can do to us. There's nothing that can be over us. We're free. We're free. We're going to close just with some prayer now, and the worship team's going to come. And I, I, just, I believe Jesus wants to set all of us free today. And so who is it this morning that, that the Lord you stand there, is calling you to forgive right now? Who is God calling you to forgive? You probably don't have to think long and hard about that one. It's probably pretty clear and obvious. Right away, you probably think, well, this is who I need to extend forgiveness towards. Sometimes, maybe often, it's actually people that are the very closest to us. I want us just to, to pray this morning, if we can, and just open ourselves up to the Lord, to the Holy Spirit ministering to us today. And so if we can just close our eyes and just start by just saying, Lord, Holy Spirit, we invite you to just reveal and to show who I need to forgive today. Who is it, Lord? Maybe it's a family member, a spouse, a child, a parent, a relative, an uncle, an aunt, a cousin. Maybe you're calling us this morning to forgive a friend, a good friend, or a coworker. We just invite you right now just to begin to reveal and to speak. And, and Holy Spirit, I, I just want to invite you right now. Just begin to minister, Lord. I, I, I don't want us to get the sense here of because the command to forgive is so strong. I don't want there to be a sense that it was trivial whatever took place in our lives. And so I pray that first of all, you would start with bringing healing. Lord, helping with the wound that has been caused, the hurt and the damage that perhaps years have have caused in the lives of these people potentially this morning. Lord, you don't minimize the pain. 
In fact, you came and you took on pain so that we don't have to suffer the same way that you did. And so Jesus, I just ask that you would right now just begin to help with this process, help walking through this this morning. And Lord, we also ask right now that you would, whoever it is that we need to forgive, that you would bless them. I pray right now blessings over their life. I pray the leading and the guidance of your Holy Spirit over them. I pray, God, that they would experience your forgiveness, that they, God, would experience your healing touch in their lives. And I ask, God, that you would just help because this is tough. This is tough. So just begin to even speak maybe practical ways of what you're calling us to do. If it's maybe somebody we need to phone up and just say, hey, I just, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate this about you. You gave the parable of the, the, the pearl in the field, a field of dung. There might be nothing good in that person, but there's a pearl somewhere. May you show us what that pearl is. Show us the pearl, Jesus. We're going to close with the song, Waymaker. And uh, you might just feel like it's impossible to forgive this person, this parent, this friend, this family member, coworker. Well, Jesus can make a way. He can help you with this process. Why don't we stand? We, we actually have as well um, a couple prayer team people just to be available. There's going to be over here on the side. If you need prayer this morning, if there's, if you, maybe it's related to forgiveness, maybe it's not, but if you would like prayer, we want to be available to stand with you, to pray with you, to encourage you, just to invite the Holy Spirit to work and to minister in your life. And so uh, there's just some prayer people will be available here over here on the side. We'd love to meet with you. Why don't we stand together as we just close with this song this morning. just something that Andrew just kind of had a sense and felt was, you know, um, maybe you're here and you can't forgive yourself. You're so full of shame, maybe. Uh, that's another area that, uh, that, that we often do deal with. And, and, and the Lord wants to work in your life in that area as well. And so I'd ask again that the Holy Spirit, you'd be open and just saying, Lord, how can I, how can I allow your forgiveness to really overtake and come into my life? And so if you need prayer, again, we're available over here on the side. We'd love to meet with you if you like prayer this morning as we sing together, Waymaker. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Duncan Pentecostal Church, located here in Duncan, British Columbia, on beautiful Vancouver Island. At DPC, we believe in teaching the whole Bible to build whole believers who can impact the whole world. For more information about us, find us online at www.duncanchurch.com or find us on Facebook and YouTube by searching Duncan Pentecostal Church. Have a great day.